I think we need to work more preventatively because I think we're so, I mean, in healthcare in general, but I think especially in mental healthcare, it's such a reactionary system. You know, you don't really get, you're on these crazy waiting lists for psych supports and, you know, it can be too late. So in my case, I remember having a conversation with one of the psych nurses in the hospital and she goes, you know, this is actually good that you were hospitalized because now you will be shortlisted. You'll like, you'll be, if you need psych supports in the future, you'll be at the top of the list. And I was just like, why is this what it has to come to for that to happen, for people to receive the help they need in a reasonable amount of time? Knowledge is power. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Junk Hair Love Podcast. I'm here with Heather Hutchinson. Um, Heather, I, I have spent last night and this morning uh, reading your book. I didn't get to the end oh, of yeah. it, unfortunately. Um, r- right now, um, you're, 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 I think it was like ex- chapter 21, 24, you were in psychiatric care uh, where I left off. So I have a little bit left, but wow, wow. <laughs> r- riveting. Uh, your writing is wonderful. I'm reading on Audible, yeah. too. Oh, and are so, you? Yeah. So being able to hear your your emotion and the vocal tonality and the cadence and um, oh man, it's 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 really good. The audible is very good too. Like being able to really have your emotion and everything come through in that, I I really value that. So great great work on the book so far, honestly. Thank you. Yeah. So um, would you like to give my listeners probably don't know what what the heck I'm talking about. So would you like to kind of give your bio, kind of give a a lowdown of of where you're at, how we got connected here, um, wh- what you were thinking, um, and, and kind of kind of a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I'm a singer-songwriter. Originally, I have three albums out, and my memoir, as you were saying, just came out in June, and it basically chron- chronicles my life as a blind person in Canada and Latin America, and there's kind of two parallel themes. So there's that. And then there's my struggles with mental health over the years, which culminated in being hospitalized for psychiatric care during the COVID-19 pandemic and sort of, you know, what that was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was it's, it seems like quite the journey, you know, e- even just so I, I was reading it thinking it would be, you know, pretty much just ab- about the uh, how you had mentioned that you were um, j- just the, the difficulty, difficulties that you had, um, being hospitalized through COVID-19. But then mm-hmm. I realized that you have this whole long back backstory, yeah. you know, and you have this whole long perspective. Um, it, and it was, it was interesting reading, you know, j- just the simple things like the, the dorky jokes that people would throw at your way or like <laughs> yeah. the, the corny typical, th- um, things that people would say to a blind person. And, mm-hmm. and re- as you were explaining them in the book, as I was l- listening to you on audible, um, it, it would, I'd be like, oh man, that would be, that would be so dorky to hear. I would, you know, yeah. it seems so obvious, but apparently to other, other people it's not. So what was your, um, l- let's go back to when you were young. So, so what was it like for you, for you growing up, you know, cause, cause these symptoms, the, the depression, this, these things kind of started at a young age even. Yeah. So it was pretty normal. Like my childhood was the early years were really very normal. And then you probably read in the book around five, people kind of started treating me differently. That was kind of the first 
point that I realized that people thought I was different um, because, you know, kids at school, I started, you know, you get more self-awareness, you start realizing that adults are uncomfortable around you as well. And so I just kind of started to withdraw. And then there were some family issues that I think exacerbated everything. And I think the anxiety started first. I started having panic attacks when I was about seven. And then I think the depression kind of came after that um, in my early teens, because, you know, you're constantly feeling anxious all the time and you get to a point where you're just like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. Yeah, right, right. I, I mean, I think a lot of people, um, <clears throat> I, I think I think many people kind of experience depression, anxiety a little bit later on. I, I mm-hmm. think, um, I, I mean, of course, not everybody, you know, many, many of us deal with it for, from a young age. For me, with my um, spells of depression, it wasn't until, I, I mean, I, I had a rougher childhood, but I was able to kind of shelf it in, in, in a way. I feel yeah. like I kind of um, bottled down a lot of these things. And then when I was older, they started to really come up. Um, mm-hmm. And yours, yours was from a young age. So what was it like, like being so young and having, you know, a- anxiety attacks and uh, in dealing with depression at such a young age? Because I'm sure that was hard to voice. I'm sure it was difficult for you to kind of even to put into words what you were feeling, let alone, you know, have an adult really help you out. Yeah, because I think when you're so young, and hopefully it's getting better now, but when I was a kid in the 90s, there was kind of this attitude of like, oh, she's a nervous kid, you know, she'll grow out of it, it's fine, we don't really need to do anything about it, which obviously, you know, it just gets, it's so much easier to treat the earlier you catch it, so, but yeah, like the the anxiety attacks and stuff, it was really hard to explain, because even when you, like, if a person gets a panic attack when they're older, if they haven't had one before, like they can feel like they're dying. So as a kid being like seven years old, I had no idea what was happening. So I didn't really tell anybody because I didn't really know even what to say about it. It was just super strange, these things that would just happen and I didn't know why. Yeah, you're like what I so I guess everybody just deals with this. This yeah, seems like a crazy yeah. human experience, but I guess we're just <laughs> rolling much. with it. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's incredible. Um so so what was it like for you um so as you as you grew older, as you started to cope with and learn more about your anxiety and depression. So how what was the process of you kind of learning about it and then being able to voice it? I think I was around 14. Well, when I, the year before that, somebody I was close to died by suicide. And everyone was kind of going, you know, what people say, like, oh, how could she? So selfish. Um, You know, we can't really talk about it. No, don't talk about it in front of the children sort of thing. And I remember hearing that and trying to process it. And being like, you know what, like, maybe that's not such a bad idea. So I started making plans to kill myself. And it was actually kind of divine intervention why it didn't happen. And then I was called to the the school counselor's office. And she said somebody was worried. I still don't know who or why. So then I was, my mom took me to a psychologist because she called home. And I guess that's sort of when I started to realize that I guess it, it's not, you know, that normal, something that everybody thinks about. And 
you know, is prepared to act on. Mm -hmm. So it became a little bit easier, I guess, to talk about at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it was difficult nonetheless, especially at that young age. I I think that mental health is, is being more and more normalized, especially through, you know, social media in our younger Mm -hmm. generation is a a lot of our younger generation. um, I'm, I'm, I'm around, I'm 29, so I'm millennial, but I feel like a lot of the Gen Z is, you know, it's almost a normal thing for many of them to grow up um, with some form of awareness around the depression and anxiety it seems mm-hmm. like it's a it, li- little less hard to, to talk about, although still, you know, very much a stumbling around conversation for, for many. It's it's a uh, it's difficult to kind of pinpoint. Um, but yeah, so so the wow. Yeah, like experiencing that back then. And then so were you surrounded by people who there was a couple instances in your book where um, you, you had one friend. I think it was one of your friends from Peru had said something that that stood out to me. Um, what was the common response around the people that around your loved ones? Like when they learn about this, of course, they're worried about you. How, how was the conversation around that? Was that something you had to kind of tiptoe around? Was it something you felt that you could fully speak on or how was that? It was super varied. You know, the, the friend that you're talking about was really good. And my aunt, one of my aunts, she's an ER doctor. So obviously she was you know, really comfortable to talk about those sort of things as well. That was about it. Um, I didn't really want to worry people, you know, people don't know what to say. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's scary. And then it makes you as the person having these thoughts feel like a bad person, like these thoughts are, you know, terrible. You shouldn't be having them and everything because you get that reaction of like, oh my God, how could you be thinking that? You know, right. somebody, you know, the very first thing they said was, you know, you can't do it. That would be the most selfish thing you could possibly do, which is totally the wrong thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I've actually heard someone um, um, speak about that before. Like I, I actually had a coworker years ago who was, they were going the selfish route. Like they, I don't think they really had contemplated very much. I'm not sure if they were really aware of how they were sounding when they were, when they were saying it, but I think we should expand on that a little bit. What, it, what, what does that mean to you now that you've had a little bit of retrospect um, and, and you hear someone say something like that, like that's a selfish act to, to want to take your own life. What does that mean to you now? I think it's a really unfortunate attitude because I think when we're struggling so much already, you know, we know, we know that, you know, we don't need to feel worse than we're already feeling about ourselves. And that's just, you know, when you're actually going through it, it feels like you're doing the right thing. It feels like it's altruistic, not selfish at all. It feels like you're doing the world a favor. So then you know, when somebody comes back to you and says, no, that's selfish. It's like, you know, you already feel so crappy about yourself and that just adds to it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's you, there was one point where you mentioned um, basically kind of pulling that warm blanket of uh, it's like a comfort of, yeah. um, of, you know, when it comes to depression, you kind of pull over that that warm blanket and you kind of sink back into it. You know, it's mm-hmm. isn't it so interesting? You, you think that people would kind of stop in their tracks a little bit like, wow, this person would rather die, you know, than feel what they're feeling. That, that yeah. t- to me seems so profound, but a lot of us don't really, we don't really intellectualize it because it is a very uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people if they've never yes. really dealt with it. And um, e- even when it comes back to panic attacks, 
I, I know multiple people who their first panic attack, they would they would literally go to the hospital. They think they're actually yeah. having a heart attack. And the doctor yeah. says, well, you know, sorry, it's this is actually, you know, anxiety. This is a panic attack. Here's what's going on in your body. And they're, they're like, no, no, that's it's panic attacks can't be that bad. And sure yeah. enough, they can, you know, and certainly the uh, this, you know, suicidal ideation, um, you know, intrusive thoughts, all these sort of things uh, can they're, they're certainly of course, when someone describes it, it's like, wow, that that seems terrible. I can't even imagine. But then once you experience it, it's it's this next level, uh, um, just 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 terrible thing. So um, when you let's see, where are we? At? I'm taking a glance at my notes here as we're going along. Um, tell me about your so I don't want to I don't want to spoil the whole book. I definitely want to um, you know, leave, leave listeners the chance to read it themselves. But I am curious kind of wh where I left off. Um, so you were in psychiatric care during, during COVID-19. Yes. Um, where, where did you kind of come out on, on top of it? Like, like how, how are you doing now? Are you feeling, are you feeling pretty solid now? Did you have, um, any sort of revelations while you're in there? Like what's been your journey a little more recently? Yeah. So one night, I don't know what part you're at. Um, so maybe you haven't gotten there yet, but one night I was in the hospital and I couldn't sleep. They were playing around with a lot of different meds and you know, that makes things super weird mm. for sleep, being asleep and waking up and stuff. Um, and this person was flown in by air ambulance from a smaller hospital to this bigger urban center for treatment. And they were you know, in critical condition, they were dying. And they arrived and right after they called a code blue, which is, you know, somebody in cardiac or respiratory arrest. And I started, I was lying there and I started thinking about this person's family and being like, my God, like their loved ones are going through one of the scariest nights they will ever have. And I started thinking, how can I feel so much compassion and empathy for this person's family while knowing that the decision I want to make is going to devastate my own loved ones? And then I started thinking about this person and I'm like, they're fighting to live and I'm fighting to die. And would they trade their place with me? And I realized that I was being given this choice and in that moment, I had to decide, am I going to live or am I going to die? And if I'm going to live, then I need to do something positive. I need this story to be more than, you know, just another tragedy, more than just another statistic and unanswered question. So it was actually that night that I decided, no, I'm going to write, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to tell this story for the people who can't anymore. Wow. Wow. So did that feel like a divine intervention or anything? Did that feel like this, yeah. this incredible moment? <laughs> yeah, it was super, super weird. I don't know. I think sometimes we're just in the right place at the right time. And I think in, in the right place emotionally to receive that message, because, you know, if it happened a couple of days earlier, or if I just heard the story from somebody else, like it would have just kind of been like, oh, that's sad. But you know, whatever, but clearly I was just in a place where I was ready to receive that message. 
Right. Yeah. And, and you definitely received it because again, like I said, the book is, is, is fantastic. The memoir is fantastic. Um, so what was, what, what happened after that? So you had this, this profound, um, kind of perception change, you know, you're, you're kind of picturing yourself, you're, you're, you're flipping spaces with this person in the other room who is fighting to live and while you're fighting to die, that's a, a, a great way to word it too, by the way. Um, what, so, so what, what happened after that? How were you able to like take action? You know, cause a lot of times we, I feel if we're in kind of a depressive state where we will have these moments of clarity, we will have these moments mm -hmm. of, you know what, you know, maybe you feel the breeze on your skin. Um, you know, you're, you're in a comfortable spot, you're around people that you love and you kind of have these moments where the mind's a little quieter. Okay. You know, this isn't so bad. I did have a rough morning. I did have a rough last night, whatever. Um, but I, I'm here. So uh, kind of, but, but a lot of times those moments seem fleeting. It seems like yeah. you were really able to kind of catch this moment though and, and really, you know, kind of ride it out of the, of the pit in, in a sense. So how did you do that? Well, it's actually funny because things actually got worse before they got better after that. Oh, dang. Yeah. But like in a good way, sort of, because mm -hmm. I feel like before I was just really going through the motions in the hospital. Like I didn't go to the hospital to get better. I went to the hospital for absolution because when I was dead, I wanted my family to be like, oh, well, she went to the hospital, you know, she tried. Yeah. So I was just kind of in there like biding my time until they let me go home. This, you know, them keeping me was not part of the plan. <laughs> um, but then this, this thing happened and before that, like, I just felt so shell-shocked. And then the next day, something actually happened in group. Somebody said something that affected me so much that it was just, like, every, all the grief I have ever known in my life just kind of all came together in that moment. And I was just, like, absolutely devastated. They ended up sedating me that night. and that was kind of the beginning you know like that idea the night before was was a beginning of sorts but then mm -hmm. this like it was kind of like this cleansing of just like all the pain and from you know so many years and I remember like right before I was sedated like my very last thought was you know like this isn't how my life was supposed to go so yeah I think that was really the first day of because I actually started trying then you know like I actually had these emotions because I hadn't cried I hadn't you know done anything I was just so shell-shocked being in there and then and then it all just kind of opened up on that day after having kind of that revelation that night and then I, I feel like that day was really when I started to heal Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that really kind of like you had kind of two moments of, of yeah. different experience. Like, so one, one the night before that's kind of like your, your precursor. And then the next day it was this, you know, poking this bag, this well of just all these emotions and things mm -hmm. that apparently needed, needed to come up. So was there a lot of, so that day kind of started a, a trickle effect. Um, were you able to kind of look back at the way you had been thinking before or the thought patterns that had been going on and, and revamp them or were you were, was, was your brain still kind of feeding you these continuous you know mean unhelpful negative thoughts and you were kind of combating them differently or what, what basically I'm asking Heather what was kind of the internal dialogue for you um, during during this moment yeah I think 
definitely it takes practice like you don't switch you don't flip a switch and then everything's great right? <laughs> right right so i think that was really the beginning of it but it's it's been a long road and it's it takes constant practice you know i'm still not perfect at it so you know it's just so much repetition of like cognitive behavioral therapy like okay what is actually going on is this you know, is this my perception or is this reality? So, you know, you walk into a room and you're going like, oh my God, everybody hates me. They think I'm so stupid, you know, all these things. And then you kind of have to stop and reframe that. Okay. What's actually going on here? Is that realistic or are people, you know, generally good who want to see the good in other people and want to see people succeed, you know, Mm -hmm. which of these two things is more accurate, but that takes a lot of practice. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. Well, so what what has been your practices since then? What what has been the do you have, you know, daily rituals? Do you have different habits now that that you put in place to make sure you kind of keep yourself um, in, in a positive mindset? So me, for example, um, I'm, I, I've just changed my lifestyle in a lot of different ways. You know, there's different foods that I that I try to avoid. There's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to fast so I don't have inflammation at certain times of the day. I do meditation, yoga, a lot of these things. Do, do you have um, in, anything that you've kind of like learned over that has has seemed to help you lately, like through the pandemic, through the through your healing process that you're still going through? Yeah, meditation is a big one. I think the biggest thing that helps me personally is to every day remind myself what my purpose is. Cause I think when we don't have purpose is really when we get lost. So if I can remember that, if I can do one thing every day that makes me feel like I have purpose, that I'm doing some good in the world that I need to be here, then that is more helpful to me than anything else that I've tried. But it's a combination of things, of course. Yeah, yeah, right. No, I totally agree. I think that that purpose is it's something that's almost a, a bit overlooked. As humans, we mm-hmm. really do have this desire for meaning. You know, we we, yes. we want our, you know, it's it's not so much uh, a self-importance as it is we want our our life to uh, bring value to the rest of the world. We we want to um, w- whatever our talents are, whatever our things that only we can bring to the world, we want to make sure that we're doing them. We want to make sure that we're providing our loved ones with you know, the things that only we can provide them with, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that, and that's incredibly fulfilling. So the, when it, when it comes to your music, like, so are you, are you working on music almost every day now? Is that, is that a way that you're able to provide meaning? Um, is, is that something that you can tap into and you feel, okay, I worked on, I, I wrote a song or I did this for 30 minutes. I, I um, practiced this thing. I played piano for an hour and okay, cool. I did my work of uh, because it, as a musician, that is that's is a way of providing meaning to other people. You can really uh, allow them to feel something internally, feel emotions that they didn't know were laying dormant in them by hearing the right lyric within the right key. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can yeah. really poke that as a musician. It's this superpower as a musician that you have. So do you find meaning through um, your, your music, Heather? Yeah, I'm actually just sort of getting back into it. Before the pandemic, I was really struggling already, and I actually pretty much completely stopped playing music. I remember Uh being on stage a couple of months before the pandemic and just really just going through the motions and like playing these songs and just standing up there and being like, 
I hate this. I'm not enjoying this. And that was the last show I played because I'm like, I'm not being fair to the people who are coming to see this and I'm not being fair to myself. So, and then the pandemic hit obviously and, you know, live music kind of stopped, everything stopped. And, you know, things are just, I think you guys were like way ahead of us in opening up. So things are just kind of starting to open up again. So actually this week, a friend of mine who's a producer drove like 27 hours here and he's like, let's, um, you know, spend five days or something, write some songs and record some songs. So that's kind of like the, ser- the most serious music I've been involved in recently. And it actually feels really good. I wasn't sure how it was going to be, but I'm yeah. super happy to yeah, be starting down that road again. Wow. Yeah. So, so what, what's the stuff that you're writing right now? Does it feel different? Does it feel like a new evolution from, from the stuff from before the pandemic? Yeah, I would say so. I think I'm actually kind of trying to draw on some of the, my lived experience and then kind of the universal experience of like what we all went through during the pandemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I think that is, that's a, a great place to, um, to like narrow down on though is is you know what what brings you joy and and for you to it, it it's it's interesting to hear you even before the pandemic you could start to hear the you could start to feel like I'm disconnected from this it's, it doesn't yeah. doesn't feel the same because the way that you described um your, your album like when you when you first put those headphones on mm-hmm. in, in in the book you described it so so greatly you know um, it felt felt very pure to you it seemed like um, yeah so for you to go from that to kind of feeling disconnected and and wondering, and you know, you almost wonder if something's poking at your purpose. It's like, all right, well, it's time time to shift. You're gonna have to learn something new, or you're gonna have to um, go through some sort of metamorphosis here. And then it, it, it's very interesting to think of the type of music and, and what it, what you're going to be able to accomplish on the other side. You know, yeah. Like in, in a yeah. few years, what you're gonna have written is gonna be, I, I bet it's gonna blow the old stuff out of the water in a sense. You know. Yeah, yeah, I hope so because I think that was that was really it. Like I was just tired of. I wasn't playing really like what I wanted to play. It was more, you know, I'm, I'm doing this to just because it's what I'm almost like supposed to be doing, if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense, but it wasn't like fulfilling anymore. So it was kind of like, okay, I need to, I need to shake things up. And I actually started working on a project right before the pandemic that I was like super excited about. And then it all fell apart, obviously because of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. I think that was really hard too. And I just like, didn't want to play music because, you know, even, even just that, like, it was just this reminder of how everything was falling apart. And I think some people really like a lot of my friends and colleagues really drew comfort from music during the pandemic and they would put on, you know, like these online shows and stuff. I just couldn't mm-hmm. be bothered. I didn't have the energy. It was just trying to make it through the the next hour, the next day, you know. Right, right, yeah. So, so I'm actually a DJ, Heather, and I have. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been a DJ for um, it's around ten years now, and so I I was working um, DJ and audio engineer. So when the pandemic came around for me as well, I'm I'm in the the live event industry, so it all changed my world mm-hmm. as well. Um, and you know. It, 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 it was interesting because 
you're playing in in clubs and bars and in casinos and in you know live events and people are having fun people are having drinks we're all like we don't think about our proximity to one another we don't think mm -hmm. about you know being close we don't think about singing loud or you know sneezing coughing whatever like we're just we're here we're existing we're listening to music we're dancing we're having a good time um, and it really kind of changed a lot for me I, I did a couple live streams even and uh, I'm glad I did them you know I wanted to to kind of keep keep in touch and keep doing a little bit of work but um they, they all just felt so weird you know yeah. I, like what yeah. what am i playing to you know it's what yeah. are we gonna it's disconnect yeah we're gonna you know pretend that we're having just as much fun as we did when it was live yeah. you know no, it's, it's no. kind of this facade so yeah it has been interesting um i i've played a little bit since since we've opened up um i haven't really gone full bore i haven't I haven't really played any um big events i dj'd a wedding uh, back in washington last weekend but yeah oh, wow. I, I, that's yeah, far yeah. Away. Well, so I'm actually from Washington originally. Oh, okay, um, okay. Just moved out to Austin like um, less than like five months ago. So okay. I still, still have some gigs back home that I've have been flying back for. But um, yeah, so it, it has been interesting for for musicians and in performers. Um, so so wh where do you see? So as we begin to open up, um, ha have you really thought about your your live performances much yet, or is that still kind of like a little bit far off? Maybe after you're done recording this this project or what are you thinking for live events? I've actually been thinking about them more and more, which is kind of exciting. I think what I'd like to do and, and we'll see how it all comes together, but I would like to, you know, take some of this new material and actually tour it around a little bit um, while kind of telling my story and, and incorporating parts of my book kind of into mm. it too. So just trying to give, you know, this sort of like rounded, you know, sort of performance that that right. will hopefully, you know, help and educate people as well at the same time. Yeah, I think that would be cool. Like this entire this moving experience. Yeah, you know, that's because because a, a musician anyway is up there. They're they're the maestro, right? Like yeah. they've yeah. we have access to, to if you're the one on stage, you kind of have access to the people's heartstrings in a way. Yes. You know, they're they're yeah. ready to like, saying, hey, poke these right emotions. I'm ready to feel them. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. I, I think that has the potential to be very beautiful. Heather, I think that that would be an awesome idea, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it comes together because I, I think you know, even, I don't know, you know, even schools or community groups or just whoever would, you know, maybe benefit from hearing the message of, you know, both mental health, but also, you know, diversity and inclusion and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. I mean, so as mental health becomes something, um, you know, like I mentioned, it seems like you, you went through it at a younger age. I, um, of course, I can't speak for everybody. It just seems like there's a lot more older people, maybe even just in my um, um, group around me of people that I see and people that I knew. Um, it seems like a lot of us didn't grow up with, with the anxiety, um, and, and you did. So do you... Where, where do you see mental health now? You know, we're, we're, we're coming into 2022. Obviously, it's riding off the back of this um, this COVID-19 pandemic, which is going to not only exacerbate people's existing anxiety, has already exacerbated people's existing anxiety and depression, um, but I think it's probably going to be, it probably was the creation of a lot of the first time people are feeling these these sorts of quarrels. Um, yeah. So, So where do you... Where do you see the kind of the state of mental health now? Like, where do you think we should be going? Where do you think we should be looking? Um, how do you think we should be approaching these conversations? I think 
I think that the thing that's a little bit concerning is this sort of attitude. I think that some people have that once the pandemic's over, you know, people who started struggling during the pandemic or people who got much sicker as I did will just snap out of it as soon as the pandemic is over and it doesn't work that way. So I think we're really going to need more resources dedicated to mental health than we have now. And I think, I think we need to work more preventatively because I think we're so, I mean, in healthcare in general, but I think especially in mental healthcare, it's such a reactionary system, you know, you don't really get, you're on these crazy waiting lists for psych supports and, you know, it can be too late. So in my case, I remember having a conversation with one of the psych nurses in the hospital and she goes, you know, this is actually good that you were hospitalized because now you will be shortlisted. You'll like, you'll be, if you need psych supports in the future, you'll be at the top of the list. And I was just like, why is this what it has to come to for that to happen, for people to receive the help they need in a reasonable amount of time? Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not that surprising to kind of point out the areas that our healthcare system is, is kind of busted in some ways. It's so great in so many ways, but there is other areas. It seems like we're not keeping up to the, to the task of, of improving and changing and developing, um, you know, what this next stage of, of our healthcare system is, because I think when it comes to mental health, I mean, the amount of people who are dealing with depression nowadays is, is just skyrocketing. It's, it's, it's upgrading every year. And it seems like kind of the only answer we, we, we have is it feels kind of like doctors are a bit helpless. You know, they're, they're of course going to try their best, but they're seeing all these patients every day. Um, what, what they're told is to, to prescribe antidepressants. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just this, I like how you said preventative. It reminds me of, um, there was a story, I think it was, uh, I can't remember who told it actually, but there's basically this, this story, um, of someone watching, uh, it's kind of an analogy, someone watching basically like there's kids drowning over here. Okay. In there. Whoa. Okay. We need to get those. There's a kid right here that he's floating down. You can see him floating down the river. We need to jump in and get him. So they jump in and they save the kid and they pull him to shore and then they look up and there's, oh, there's another kid that's coming down the river and he's drowning. Oh, wow. Jump in, save him, pull him out, get to the shore. You look up and there's more kids. They keep coming down the river. And so at some point we need to get someone to walk upstream and wonder what the heck's going yes. on. Wh- yes. Why are these kids jumping in the river? Like we can keep saving them. Like we're, we're down here. We've got a net, you know, we're going to, we're going to save all that we can. We're going to get them all to the shore. We want to help them, but we need to look at it holistically. We need to take a meta view of this whole scenario and look upstream. What's going on upstream? You know, what, yeah. what's, what's causing this depression? Um, is, is it a, is it a, a mindset? Is it, uh, our habits? Is it our food? Is it our, just our culture in general? Is it a, um, in, incorrect thought process. Is it, um, a, a chemical response to something, you know, it's, uh, of course there are many people who are trying to attack and solve these problems, but, um, it, it does seem like it's, it really needs to, this whole mental health needs to be put at the forefront of what's going on. You know, we have these young people who are growing up, um, you know, kind of, I, 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 I don't know. I, I just, I, th- I think the the state of mental health does need to, just like you said, it does need to shift from, um, you know, just dealing with it right now. Here's we'll just throw this at it, throw antidepressants at it, whatever, in, into a more preventative 
Um, so, so what in, in, in that field, if there's anybody listening right now who, um, you know, maybe they're experiencing some level of this, maybe it's at the beginning stages, maybe they've been experiencing it for, for many years. Is there any kind of advice or gestures that you might say to them like that, that you've learned, um, keeping in mind that, that you've been in this position and you may not be, maybe you're not always in the position to hear it. Right. You know, but, uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so, so what, what do you, what do you think? Like pe- people who are going through right now, listeners who are experiencing it, maybe they don't know how to handle it. Maybe they don't know who to talk to, how to talk about it. Um, th- they're going through some level of an- anxiety, depression right now. Is there anything that pops into mind that, that you think would be valuable advice towards them? Yeah, I think it's tough because the very nature of some mental illnesses makes it so hard to get help because you're reaching out and you're reach and that's you know a, a a problem with the system too is sometimes you have to reach out so many times before you actually get the help you need and it's really unfortunate because how do you keep reaching out when you don't feel that you're worth fighting for mm-hmm. but i would say to those people you are worth fighting for and you do need to keep reaching out because eventually you will get the support you need and I'm not going to say, you know, oh, tomorrow's a better day. It gets better. You know, it does get better. That's true. But it's not what you want to hear when you're when you're in the middle of it. It's kind of an empty platitude. But I think what I can promise is that, you know, one day you'll stop in a moment and you'll feel such profound joy and you'll think to yourself, like, thank God I stuck with it because I would have missed this. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, you, you really don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You know, in that sense, mm-hmm. you you don't you don't understand how much, how much joy and beauty and love you may still be yet to experience. Yes. You know, you, yeah. you 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 have all this 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 future life a, a ahead of you. You know, it's and uh, what 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 is the? I think you even mentioned it in your book the, it's a a long or it's a, it's a long fix for a temporary um, issue or or something like that. Like like when, when they talk about suicidal ideation. Um, you know, you're, you're feeling this, they want to kind of frame it as here's this temporary feeling and you're trying to have a, a long-term fix. Yeah. A permanent solution to a temporary problem. That's the way to word it. Yeah. 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 I, I think, I think that is good, you know, because it's so difficult for us in these moments to really step outside of, okay, this is an emotion. This is a feeling that I'm feeling right now. I don't have to necessarily identify with this. I don't have to say this is the entirety of my being, you know, for you, for example, you're, you're thinking about, um, you know, you're, you know, being burdensome, you're, you're thinking about your, your negative thoughts. Um, you don't, you don't want to fight through it anymore. You're, you're, you're just done dealing with it, but you're also at that time, you're not, it seems like you probably didn't have access to these wonderful things that you've done, the joy that you've brought to you, mm-hmm. all of your friends and family, the music that you've created, the, the places in people's hearts that you've, that you've poked with, with your ability to create something and, and write music. Um, you know, at those moments, we're not thinking about those things. No. We're not thinking about our accolades, right? No, we're, no. We're, we're kind of caught in the loops of our self despair, you know? Yeah. So, um, what, so dur- during those dark moments, now that you've experienced, experienced a good amount of them, um, do you have any, any, um, how do you, how do you hold on through the dark moments? That, that, that's my question. How do you, how do you kind of like grip on and, and just, okay, I know this is happening, but I know that something better is worth, like, how do you, how do you keep the faith and kind of fight through the storm in those dark moments? I think 
all you can do is the best that you can. And if, you know, if that means you get out of bed one day and take a shower and that's the best you can do, you know, that's okay. And, you know, there will come a time when you can do more, but, you know, it, it's okay to just need to get through it, whatever that means, you know, you need to, you need to do what you need to do. And you need to know that there is support out there for you and that you can reach out. I think what was really beneficial for me, and it's kind of funny because at the time I was like, this is so stupid. But with one of my therapists, I made a safety plan. So basically it starts like it, it lists it's a piece of paper, a document, and it lists the signs, like first signs I'm spiraling and what to, you know, first steps I can take. And then if that doesn't work, you know, it's the kind of this like hierarchy of steps that I can take. And I totally didn't think it would be helpful, but on that last day before I went to the hospital, you know, I'm thinking of all these things. And I, I remember this damn thing that the safety plan that I wrote with my therapist, like the year before and the very last step on it was go to the hospital. And so I, I, I was like, no, like I can't die with a broken promise. So I actually yeah. went to the hospital and I never thought that would be, you know, helpful. But even if it's not like with a therapist, if it's with a loved one, you know, a friend, whoever, I think having a document like that can actually be really helpful to pull you out of, of those kind of spirals, those, you know, negative loops that you can get stuck in. Right, right. No, I, I really like that. Could you give me an example of some of the other steps on, on, on there? Like if someone would maybe want to create their own simplified steps, step system that they could write out just, just to have it, just to try it as an experiment. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to look a little bit different for each person, but for me, I think the key to really not spiraling is to have enough practice with it to know the very first step or the very first signs so you can pull yourself out because it just gets harder and harder the further down you go Mm -hmm. so like for me if I can catch it early I can go to the piano I can play music I can you know call a friend go for a walk those sorts of things if you can catch it you know early enough then you can do you know, the things that, that bring you joy and, and it kind of brings you back into yourself. If you don't catch it in time, then, you know, you may need to take stronger measures. You can call somebody you trust and say, you know, I'm, I'm not doing well. I need you to, you know, check up on me or whatever. And then obviously the very last step is that you always do have that option of going to the hospital if you're not safe. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good example because the the spiraling is certainly something that happens and it starts to pick up momentum, you know, mm-hmm. the, the deeper down you go. And then it is, you're right, it is kind of hard to, it's it's more difficult to grab those, um, the, the rungs of the ladder, the, yes. the, the deeper down you get into your, in, into your, you know, mental, you know, negative fortitude that, that we create for ourselves. And again, like you had mentioned earlier, it is this strange, you know, comfort Uh, you know you you get farther down and you're like yeah of course i I deserve to feel this way and you start justifying Mm -hmm. your own kind of meanness to yourself you know and and you want to sink farther into the cave for whatever reason and if you can just 
find a way to stop it or you have a list like you said you ha- you have um, kind of some rules that, that okay well I feel myself thinking these thoughts I feel my body um, bringing in these emotions I um, instead of spiraling I'm gonna go do this or I'm gonna call my friend or, or whatever so for me um, physical activity definitely helps me if I notice that I'm kind of caught in some loops I'm kind of being you know mean and negative to myself I'll go, you know, go for a run. I'll go grab my skateboard and I'll go take that around. I'll go just do some crazy like 10 minutes of just real fast yoga, stretching, moving around, whatever it is, and kind of helps um, break those thought patterns. And one one more thing that I wanted to kind of point out too um, that you mentioned, Heather, is um, at the beginning when when you're kind of feeling this this nihilism, this this negativity, um, the the when you start trying to think positively or okay. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm recognizing that I'm doing that depressing thing again. I'm doing that anxious thing again, and I don't want to do that. So I have to do something else. It does feel very fickle at that point. It feels, it feels <laughs> fake to, to yeah. be like, cause so, so, so for me, when I kind of pull myself out of it, um, I was doing, I, I was, I suddenly stumbled into all this, you know, motivational, like Tony Robbins, um, um, uh, Jeez, I can't even think of anybody else, but all these like motivational people um, or, or affirmations or positivity. And it felt so dorky at first, yeah. but I started doing it and I started saying, no, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to not move for 10 minutes. I'm going to sit in this room, even though it feels uncomfortable, even though I feel like a dork, whatever. I'm going to make myself deal with it. I'm going to make myself listen to this because my thoughts that are looping seem to be negative. They seem to be mean. They seem to be making me feel bad. So I'm going to listen to someone else's voice for a minute, you know, so I'd listen to Tony Robbins or Jordan Peterson or some somebody doing some positive affirmations. And I would really try to let my guard down and I would try to just listen. If the if the voice in my headphones is saying, I am love, I am one with the universe. Maybe that's going to sound dorky and corny at the time, but I'm going to try to. Okay, what would it feel like if I if that were true? I'm going to pretend. Cool. Let's actually like get into it. Let's let's pretend and let's listen to what this is saying. Um, and, and basically it, it does kind of help you pull yourself out of those, those ruts, which mm-hmm. is so, so important. Um, being able to kind of pull yourself out of those moments and kind of break that, that thought pattern of negativity. I think that is, is so important. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And again, just catching it before, you know, while you still can do those things to break that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And again, you, you catching it, it's not it's not always going to feel natural. Maybe at the beginning, it's, it's going to feel dorky. It's going to feel fake. It's going to feel like you're it, it, to me. It felt like I was faking it. I'm like, what am I doing sitting in my basement telling telling myself yeah. I love myself? <laughs> I don't love myself. What am I talking like, you know, but sure enough, it, it's just enough to kind of give you a little bit of, of a, a perspective. You know, yeah, it gets you gets you out of those thought patterns and gives you a little bit more distance from them and realize that you're not your thoughts. You know, you're much more. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, okay. So how has your, and of course it's, it's, it's ever growing, right? You know, especially when with mental health, I think it's something, I think it's a a lifelong journey of sorts as you, as you navigate and you grow from, from certain things, how would you say, how would you say your perspective has changed from, you know, the beginning, even when you were young or even right before the pandemic, like when your, when your thought patterns were, were very negative and and just not non-optimistic. Um, versus where we're kind of you're sitting now how has it changed what's your preference like now yeah I mean I think we all still go there to some extent I think you know it it is going to be a a lifelong journey 
but I'm able to pull myself out of it so much easier now. I have so many more tools and, you know, the actual practice of using them because you can have all these tools, but until you really commit to practicing and and using them, you know, they're not going to help you that much. So like I said, for me, it's just constantly reminding myself doing something every day that makes me feel that I'm contributing to this world that, you know, I'm, I'm needed here. I'm giving something to somebody else. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, uh, if something else I mentioned in your book, I think it was something that your friend said to you was, uh, um, feeling useful. You know, a lot of yes. times, yeah, we, we, we of course want to feel useful. So if you, so does that kind of check off the boxes for you? If you're, you know, if you know you do one hour a day of this or, you know, two hours a day of this, you, you kind of do your thing that makes you feel useful. It, it helps. It contributes. Because I'm sure when you were, you know, writing the book, it, every chapter that you got on, that you got on page or every chapter that you recorded was probably, okay, you know, maybe I'm still feeling good. Maybe this is my healing as I'm going through it. But I felt I can put it away. I can set that to the side of my desk. I, I did my work for today that's going to make me feel useful. It's going to help other people because truly, I mean, the more people that read this, I'm sure sure it helps, helps everybody in some sort of way, anybody who reads it. Um, so the, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, isn't that so interesting? Feeling useful is, mm-hmm. is something that, that we're missing out on. You know, so many people in our society, do we just, we, we don't feel useful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into that whole, you know, the world wouldn't miss me kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not contributing. I'm not helping anybody. I'm, I'm hurting people more than I'm helping them. So I'm gonna, you know, not do that anymore. So yeah. Finding that purpose, finding that being useful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that silly thought of, you know, in, 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 in suicidal thoughts, when, you really think that your family would be better off without you. And you're, you, yeah. we'll, we'll convince ourselves of that, you know? And, and it's just, I mean, to anybody who has thought that or they, they, they are thinking that or they do think that, I just implore you, like, have you, have you ever thought that about any of your friends or loved ones? Because yeah. probably not. Yeah. That's like, a if, really if, good point. Yeah, yeah. no, never. If, if they said that to you, what would you say? You know, you'd be like, what are you talking about, man? I love you. What, like, yeah. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're my friend, you know? What is... But in, in those moments, we convince ourselves of that, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, we can be so unreasonable. So, I mean, I, I think reiterating a lot of what we said is just getting yourself out of those loops when you're not feeling useful. Um, if you can try to find something that only you can bring to the, bring to the world um, or, or j- just something that you particularly do well, you know, being useful. It's, um, you know, a lot of times w- in, into the wording of, of acts of service, a lot of times people are fulfilled by stepping out of their own mind um, by doing acts of service for other people. So that gives them usefulness, that gives them meaning. And this could even come down to, you know, instead of closing off and, and being, you know, uh, ha- having your hood on when you're in public, maybe try to stand with your chest out and open doors and say hello to more people. You know, maybe you're making someone else's day by just saying hi to them, by just being polite to them. Um, and that can help you kind of step out of your own neuroses sometimes too, I think. Um, mm. So let's see, where are we at here? So we've got, I, I, I wish I had finished your book. I'm excited to get to, to get back to, to the end of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the, the, the climactic, you know, the kind of, kind of where you came out on top. So, um, 
as far as your as far as your everyday thought thought patterns now, um, are are you are you doing pretty solid? Like, are you able to stay fairly positive? Have you felt um, that you're able to kind of hold on to that that divine moment um, when when you're in psychiatric care of kind of re- revamping um, and kind of going through that grieving process, going through okay, I, I do actually want to live. Where, where, where are you at with all of that That lately? You're still pretty positive? Yeah, so it hasn't been a linear process by any means. There mm-hmm. have been slip-ups and moments and things like that, but I would say, like, especially right now, like, it, it just passed the one-year anniversary of being hospitalized, like, the, the first day that I went in, mm-hmm. and I was on the beach in like one year later on the beach in a hammock and I was just like thinking to myself because I think you know when when we have these anniversaries these markers of time that's because we're seeing ourselves every day so we might not notice you know the positive changes we're making all the time so I'm like lying there in this hammock and thinking one year ago today I was lying in a bed in psych emergency just like totally shell-shocked and and now I'm here, you know, with the people that I love and, and my, like, my God, I'm doing so much better. So it was, it was a really cool kind of experience to have that like one year anniversary and, and really be able to compare. Yeah, no, that, that is, that's wonderful. That That's very beautiful because in that moment, of course, you would have never imagined that in one year from now, I'm going to be in a hammock with my loved ones, just with a smile on my face. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, one year before I'm thinking in a couple of days, I'm going to be dead. So no, you, you never imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you truly don't know what you don't know. You know, we, no. we, we can't predict the future. So I, I think really holding on to that hope and that faith um, of, Hey, I'm I'm going through something right now. I'm I'm definitely going through it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to try to face it as head on as I can. I'm going to try to have courage and look at these things that I'm going through. Um, but I I'm also going to remember that it's not forever. Yeah. I, I think I think remembering in 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 holding on to maybe I don't know exactly how the future looks. Maybe it's going to be a little while before I'm you know in where where I think I want to be. But I'm gonna hold faith to it, and I'm gonna know that I'm gonna I'm gonna weather this storm. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on through this this mental health thing. One more thing that I did, did want to mention. Um, I've been trying to find ways to, ways to word it because I heard someone else mention it, and, and it really kind of sticks out. I think it's a good way to help um, to help us all kind of wrap our heads around mental health stuff. Is um, you know we don't choose it for one. There's no. there's certainly no reason why anybody no, would choose would to you? have these. Yeah, like in and it's the same way as you know if someone. Um, if someone like, you know, rips the meniscus in their knee or, or they have like an injury um, or, or they, they break their arm, it's like they didn't choose to do that. You know, yeah. it's um, sh- sure it happened through some sort of in these cases physical, but it's, it's basically something that happens in our body that we're kind of having to ride out. You know, yeah. it's 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 a, it's a response in a lot of ways to um, a lot of the internal dialogue, and so it's it's basically you know just as you just as someone with a broken leg, you you look at them, you're like, oh, of course they didn't choose to break their leg; they would prefer it not be broken. It's kind of the same way when it comes to mental health, yeah. and reminding ourselves of that, mm-hmm. of hey, I don't have to beat myself up. I don't have to go the extra mile and say that I suck for for having these thoughts. You know, I don't have to add on a layer of like, oh, I'm I'm. Because a lot of times we start having these thoughts and we start labeling ourselves, being more mean to ourselves for even mm-hmm. having them. Yep. And so just kind of accepting this is something that humans go through. Yeah. And um, w- w- uh, when you can heal from it or when you can um, begin to heal from it or even hold it, you know, sit with it, 
experience it um, rather than, um, you know, suffer, just simply suffer from it. It gives you a little bit of perspective. And I, I think I think our age, our generation too, Heather, is um, we're going to have a lot to teach the younger generation. Because like, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, I think, you know, with all this technology, all this social media, um, uh, our, our, our comparison to, to one another and, you know, just, just all this stuff that keeps adding up that we've all experienced, but it, it does pile on. I think that the younger younger kids are going to be, you know, looking for some advice and some people to to share their experience of how how they went through the similar things and how they they came out on the other side. So, yeah, what 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 you're doing and the story that you're sharing, Heather, is is very important. Um, I I commend you for it. I think it's I think it's wonderful. Um, the the book is uh, I mean I I recommend Audible I I, I read a lot more through through Audible because I do too yeah yeah awesome. I, I, I like to be able to move my body and kind of d- distract myself or use my ADHD to my advantage while I <laughs> there you go book. get a bunch of stuff done yeah 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 some sort of multitasking but um yeah so and, and it's a great book I I um I invite anybody to to check it out um we are getting up here in time so if there's anything else that you wanted to mention but I did want to make sure we get um, your uh, your website out here. So wh- where can people find you? Can they find more interviews of you? Where can they get your book? Give us the lowdown on all this, Heather. Yeah, so basically you can find everything on my website, which is www.heather-hutchison.com. H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. Everybody always adds in like the extra N. <laughs> the N, yeah. I um, and then the book is there's links on my website to the book, but as you said, you can find it on Audible, Amazon, um, Apple Books, Google Play Books, pretty much everywhere you buy your books. And it's available in print and uh, ebook and audiobook. And I also have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, which is all on my website as well. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Cool. Well, I mean, everybody definitely go, go add Heather, go check out her book. I think you will thoroughly enjoy it. Um, I of course recommend the audiobook cause you can hear her vocal tonality and, uh, oh my gosh, Heather, when, when you were, when you were talking about, um, um, what was it? Bibby? You're, 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 yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Like, cause, yeah. cause I can hear the, the, you know, a little bit of the quivering in your voice yeah. and yeah. I was just shedding a little, you know, I'm missing my, he, my, my dog didn't pass away, but he's, he's back home when I moved away. Um, so it, it just, it, re- it really strikes on the heartstrings. Um, and it's a very, very relatable, um, very relatable reading. So, you know, you, you did a great job, Heather. Um, Thank you. and so yeah, everybody definitely go, go check out all of Heather's stuff. Heather, thank you so much for not only spending your time, but for also just having the bravery and the courage to voice all of these things that you've been through. You know, you 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 have you have an interesting and beautiful perspective. Um, I, I think th- I think that life has has been very interesting for you. You know, it's it's really <laughs> led you through things, but I think that you've been able to keep a, a powerful and very helpful perspective. So the fact that you're willing to you know, stand on stage with a mic in your hand and, and talk about it or, or you know, st- st- stand in, in, in your office with a, with a pen in your hand and, and, and write it, you know, wh- whatever it is, sharing your story uh, is, is powerful, it's helpful, and it's, it's valuable. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Well, we'll be in touch. I'll send you some emails and keep you posted when this has come Perfect. out. Um, yeah. You have a good rest of your day, Heather. And listeners, you have a good rest of your day as well. Remember, you're not your thoughts. And if you haven't drank any water today, if you haven't stretched, if you haven't done some physical activity, uh, get out there and do it. Drink some water, stretch, love yourself, practice self-love, 
Everybody have a good rest of your day. Take care, Heather. You too. Better conversations with ourselves. Knowledge is power.